Well, what do we say? Good morning. Oh, I always like it to be up just a little bit more. Good morning. Good morning. It is. It's a precious morning. Good to see all you guys. It's a definite pleasure to worship God, to uh, be reminded of His great, awesome grace that He has given us so that we can gather and worship Him, give us the strength that we need throughout the rest of the week that's to come as we go about God's plan for us in this world. And He has a word for us. It's always in the Scripture. It's always right here. We uh, have been dealing with the Ten Commandments, and last week we uh, we finished those ten. But actually, we will find out we will be in uh, more of those commands in the next uh, few weeks because it's dealing with the Book of the Covenant. So it defines a lot of what those commandments are. Just when you thought we were out of those, <laughs> and just when you thought it was time to be free of all the conviction that we've had... <laughs> We will go further on in, in this book of Exodus. Uh, 1992, there was a national nominated party candidate for the office of the President of the United States of America. And that's indisputably the most powerful office in all this land, if not the whole world. President of the United States. And he was interviewed by a group of adolescents on a channel you might be familiar with called MTV. And here we are, somebody who's running for president, and they ask this faithful question. The question is, are you guys ready for this? What kind of underwear do you use? Is it boxers or briefs? Can you imagine that? Asking somebody, of all the important questions they could ask, and they ask that, you say, what are you getting to, Dennis? Well, I think in this country today, and even in the body of Christ, we don't know what it is to reverence and be in awe of God, to actually have a fear, uh, at least a respect. There was a respect for human authority. He wasn't the president necessarily as far as at at that time. Uh, But it was a, a very flippant kind of question. And that makes it difficult in this world today, in society that we have, to appreciate the reverence and awe that people should have uh, whenever they approach an authority and uh, definitely in the case of approaching the living God. And so uh, in many ways we see a lot of relationships where people just don't understand where there is uh, to be a fear or at least some kind of reverence for them. How about students and teachers and administrators? How about that kind of relationship today? People who are supposed to be in authority and the students are to recognize their authority, but yet they seem to be really cavalier in the way that they approach uh, teachers, administrators, even even police, people that are uh, in, in appointed positions. A second grade teacher had just spoken sharply to a little boy who had been on top of another little boy, beating the pulp out of him. And the, and the teacher grabbed him by the shoulders and brought him up and got him off that kid and, and uh, told him to stop that and uh, tried to straighten him out there a little bit. And he shot back at her and said, Don't you touch me, lady, or my lawyer will sue you. <laughs> second grade. I kid you not. Would you have ever said that to your second grade teacher? I don't think so, but that's where things have gotten. This is not surprising. How about uh, a new graduate student walks into the office of this uh, doctor uh, who was a department uh, chairman, a highly respected professor in this institution, and the first words of this graduate student said said this. Now, I'm not kidding you. Here's what he said. And it sounds like it comes right out of the late 60s. Yo, Bob, you know, dude, you're really going to have to help me with the schedule because it's harsh on my gig. (laughs) You're going to have to help me, dude. Come on. My, that's the first way, first words that he had to meet this highly esteemed uh, person in the institution. I can't imagine saying that to anybody, but that's where the society has come to a lack of respect. No proper fear, and no wonder that today... There's a lack of fear of God in the church. 
and I'm, I'm talking about the right, proper, true fear of God. Sometimes I think we get confused on what the fear of God is, but I think looking at Scripture, we can understand there is a, there is a fear. This is vital for people to understand. Uh, they must be in awe of God. When, when you come here today, are you in awe of this God that you're praising and you're praying to and, and reading His Word and meditating on His thoughts? Are you in awe of how great He is? Are you in awe of the beauty? You know, we sing that song, Beauty. Think about all the attributes that are in those kind of songs that, that should focus us on Him. The reason uh, that God came down and spoke to the uh, ears and hearts of the people of Israel from His own mouth was that they would fear Him. He wanted to build a proper fear, a good way. Now, we uh, have finished, like I say, the, the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words as, as we think of in Exodus 20 through uh, 1 through 17. And we know that the people now are in fear, and we'll read this scripture uh, in just a moment. We're going to see that there is thundering, that there is lightning, trumpet blast, the voice of God, and it's too overwhelming for them. I mean, it is unbelievable the noise that's going on, and they are shaking, they're, they're fearing, they're trembling because God was right there. They didn't see Him, but they heard the glory of God. And it was incredible. A proper response is what God wants. When one fears God, they can worship God then. And that's what God wants to do. He led them out there in the wilderness so that they could worship Him. And now He has set it up that as we look in this text today, that uh, they will learn this. Let's uh, read Exodus 20, starting at verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, and that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Let's pray. Father, your holy word makes us tremble. Make us tremble today as we look at it. And then see your great grace as you invite us to worship you. By your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. First uh, part, we have two parts today. Fearing God, worshiping God. So if you can get that down, you, you have the gist of the message. What is it? Fearing God and worshiping God. The presence of the Lord brings fear and trembling if we see what the Word says. The, the, the Israelites were absolutely terrified, shaking in their sandals. They were really trembling. It's a terrifying thing for sinners to stand before a holy God. Would you admit that? First thing we're going to look at is at the terror that's found in verse 18. And we're going to be talking about the glorious majesty of God. This had been designed by God to have all this pomp. Pomp and circumstance. The thundering, the lightning, the trumpet, the smoke. And this would help one to learn to fear God. He had just put on display His great Supreme Majesty. 
And they were told earlier, if you remember this, not to get too close to the mountain. And I'm sure they tried to get as close as they could without touching that mountain. Because if you touch that mountain, if you get up on that mountain, what happens? You're done. You're fried. So God is in their presence. They have totally realized this. They're actually fleeing. (laughs) They're getting out of there. They want to get away from this presence. It's so much. God met with them and they ran. Now, we have a desire to get close to God. And we should. We should desire God. We should want to get close to Him as we possibly can. And that's good, right? But at the same time, we always want to have it in our hearts and minds that yes, God is a very good God and He wants us to draw near because of what Christ has done. We can do that. But He also wants us to recognize His holiness, His otherness, His transcendence that goes far beyond any human can even imagine. And recognize that otherness of God while at the same time we're there before Him. That's a thing that's hard to grasp, isn't it? It sounds like two opposites. And Moses is even telling them to not fear, and then he's telling them to fear. Now, can you understand that? And that's what he's trying to bring forth, that we are to not have a a lack of reverence. We're never to presume upon Him. They're going to keep their distance. That's what they have decided to do. They're not going to try to gaze in there anymore. So they got the message of His holiness, of His power, of His majesty, His might, His sovereignty, His transcendence. You can go on and on with those attributes. When you think of God's attributes, think on those things. Meditate on those things. Because the attributes of God is what God is about. And that's where everything always starts. If you're dealing with problems in your life right now, first thing you should do is start thinking upon how great God is. Get your mind off of yourself, no matter how huge this problem may be. Turn to Him, and all of a sudden, the big problems don't seem so big anymore when you see a big God that is so awesome that uh, He goes far beyond this universe that He created. Reverence and awe. That's what He wants us to do. Then when we do that, then we can go back to that problem and then realize that He is the one who has the strength and the wisdom to be able to overcome the problem with you by His grace. Now, that's one thing. It's about seeing the glorious majesty that they see in verse 18. Another thing that it should bring to mind is that it's, it's a picture of judgment. You're seeing this smoke and this darkness here, and then you see it's like fire. One day, sinners without forgiveness will stand before a holy God, naked in the sense that they have no righteousness before them, with them, as they stand before this great transcendent holy God. And what does that mean? They're judged as they approach this throne. That would be frightful and terrible. Can you imagine going up to the throne of God and not having the grace of God on you? The righteousness of Christ? Can you imagine that? So that's what the law does. It does its job. The law is a good thing. We saw in the Ten Commandments it is. It drives us to Christ. The law also is good for uh, as far as a government is concerned. But the law also is good for Christians. In that they see that they always need the grace of Christ. We fall short, but yet we desire to be being made holy, being sanctified. But the law is good. It's done its job, hasn't it? There's grace and truth. And those two words have to go together. Thank you, Bob, as you did your Facebook thing this week. I just had to bring this grace and truth into this matter because if you're seeing a judgment of God, you also have to see the good news of God. And when you see good news, you see grace and you see truth. As in John 1.17, that great chapter that introduces Jesus Christ, that introduces the Word, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. And then in one seventeen, it says... For the law was given through Moses. That's where we've been at, right? But, don't you like this? 
grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. They weren't realized until Christ died on the cross, resurrected, and there He is in our lives today. Grace and truth. Moses and and the law, Moses representing the law, that was meant to frighten men while the grace and truth brought Christ who would be welcome to them. If we stood just looking at the law with no answer, that would be a frightful thing. We would all be doomed to hell. Hebrews 12.18 says a lot about this because it is commenting on our Exodus 20 passage. Start at verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. You've not come to that mountain that as far as uh, uh, the scary and the fright and the trembling is concerned. You've not come to that. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged. Look at that. Look what the Hebrew writer says here. They begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. It wasn't that they didn't like it. It was that they knew they could not handle it. And then it goes on to say, For they could not endure what was commanded. And it said, And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. When you see the Word of God and when you see a command and you see that you you do not meet it, does it make you tremble? The Word of God should make you tremble. But then we have the balance. But he said, you've not come to that mountain anymore. You don't have to be afraid in that sense anymore. For you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Oh, that's where we've come to. We now come to Christ who has set us free from the law of sin and death. (laughs) Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? Does that put you in the right perspective for the day? Just thinking of that. That's where we come to. But the children of Israel came to that mountain. So I want you to get that in your mind, how scared they were. By the way, while I'm thinking of it, we want to make sure that we uh, are continuing to pray for what happened uh, this week. And uh, just an awesome and terrible, frightening, frightening thing that has killed literally Tens and tens of thousands of people. You guys know all about it. Seen the pictures. And uh, that certainly is something that we want to pray about. And uh, also if we, as maybe individuals or as a group, can lend some support in some way. You know, every, every little body that uh, comes together, that meets, if they can give in some way, I'm sure God is going to bless that. And ultimately we know there's a lot of people there that, need things, physical things, uh, just to live, to get by. I mean, water, just water, food, just the basic elements. And then, um, of course, ultimately, we we want the gospel, the, the right gospel to be gotten to them. And so we need to be praying about that. And uh, God uses all of these things for good, even as terrible as, as it can be. So I didn't want to forget about that. We'll make sure and we'll talk about that later. Verse 18 talks about the terror uh, back in uh, Exodus 20. Verse 19. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us and we'll hear. But don't let God speak with us. We're going to die. They have a request. They need a mediator. The voice of the Lord makes the people appeal 
to a mediator. And who is that? Moses. Now, you remember that Moses is the one who they have complained to several times already. But who are they going to? They go to this person right here on earth. Now, we know that Moses is a man, nothing more than man. But they want him to stand in between them and God. Because he is a type of Christ here in a sense. He is a mediator for them. God is going to bring his commands to Moses. Moses then will bring those commands to the people. The people will bring their requests and desires to Moses. And Moses goes to God for the people. Do you see he's like a priest? He's like a go-between. He's a bridge. He's a bridge. But all at the same time, he's pointing to the great bridge... Jesus Christ, of how you can be in the presence of God. For without Him, we could never go up to Him. They were begging that God would no longer speak. It was so frightful. And this seems odd, because this happens to be God's people. And He chose these people, right? And He has been very, very gracious to them, taking them out of bondage, out of Egypt, being in the desert, feeding them, giving them water, giving them everything they needed. Of course, they've been complaining sometimes. They're terrified right now. But it's interesting. They're God's people, but yet, not too long after this, they're going to get into idolatry. Worshipping the golden calf. After they have been in the presence of God, terrified. (laughs) And isn't that how people can do Moses uh, here is needed by them. They, they know they need a mediator. And they had a pledge of obedience way back in Exodus 19. Um, Moses told about you know what God had in mind. And they said, hey, all of this we will do. We will do it all. Just, you know, we're, we're here. We're ready. We're open to do it. They, but they, they made a pledge of obedience. And they'd follow what God said. And that's what they're saying right here. They're not changing that statement. It's not that we don't want this God because this is too much. Uh, Just get him away. We'll we'll go back to other gods. They're not saying that. They still want the same God, but they want Moses speaking in between there. You can understand. And, And there's a reason. Because they fear that they will die. They say, lest we die. You speak with us, Moses, because we can't handle this. They couldn't endure the voice. We need a mediator for the holy, exalted God. So they sense that they ought to be judged. They just, let's see, if, if, if this is in chronological order, and there is debate whether this is um, in the chronological order right after the commandments, but let's say if, if it is. If it's right there at that time, and, and it still doesn't matter, but they're sensing that they ought to be judged. If you heard those commands and you saw that the commands are perfect and they're high and they're exalted and there's no way that I can even come close, then what does that mean? One needs to be judged. Many think today that they can just walk right into the presence of God with the arrogant sin that they have in their lives, unconfessed, and demand everything that they want from God. Now that is not a sense of fear of God, is it? It's not a reverence and it's not an awe of God. At least the Hebrews here had a fear. They need to know God more. And that's what God has in mind. They saw His, hol- they saw his holiness here. They saw their sin. Isn't that the idea? The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. We need what? A mediator. So that's, that's where they're at. They need this. So they get encouragement in verse 20. We see in their request, now we see an encouragement. There's terror, there's request. Moses is going to encourage. It says, um, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that His fear may be before you. So you may not sin. That's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Well, kind of. Fear, but... No, don't fear. No, fear. Don't fear. 
So that you'll have a fear. Fear that you'll sin. You don't want to sin. So, here we go. Um, How many times have you seen in the Old Testament and New Testament where God sends an angel and the people just drop? They're they're fear, they're frightened, they're, they're trembling. How about Mary whenever an angel came to her? How about Zechariah? You think of uh, uh, Samson's parents, Manoah. All throughout Scripture, we we see supernatural appearances and the people are just floored by it. I mean, they're they're in fear and trembling. And they always say, what? Fear not. When God comes to His people, He doesn't want them to be scared of Him. So when we say fear, we're not saying be scared. God's purposes are always good. Visitations by Him are not to cause dread. So, we want to get the right fear of God. So what is that? We're not to be afraid, but God wants to refine them. He says, this is for a test. I want to refine the people. So Moses is saying this experience here should not make you afraid that God is going to destroy you, that He's ready to bring that hand down and go like that, as so often people do look at God that way, and that's improper. They need to be aware, though, of His incredible power, His glory, His majesty, and they ought to keep from choosing to sin. These people of God. God has come to test you, Moses is saying, so that the fear of God will be with you, so that you keep from sinning. Or, here's another way of stating it. Don't be afraid of God so you can fear Him. Do you catch that? Don't be afraid of God because we want you to fear Him rightly. It's a paradox. Don't be afraid. God is giving you a taste of Himself. They'd never tasted this kind of holiness before, had they? God has given you that. So, this memory would stick with you so that you would keep from sinning. Hey, the next time you think about doing something that you know offends a holy God, just think about this great God and His great holiness and majesty. And it will tend to keep you from sinning if you will put your mind on that. (laughs) And knowing that He is right there with you at the moment. Healthy balance. There's a difference between frightened and fearing God, isn't there? You remember Hebrews 12, 28 and 29? Where it said, uh, you know, the people came up to the mountain and they were trembling, but then it says, but now we come to this living God, uh, uh, Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. Revelation 14, 7. Saying with a loud voice. Now this is an angel here flying in the midst of heaven. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Does that make sense? You know what he says there? Fear God, give glory. Worship Him. When you fear Him and have that right, right proper fear, you can worship God. He's the one who is the Creator. He made heaven and earth. He made the whole universe, this God is. Wow. How about Revelation 19, verse 5? This is Christ coming back at that time. is getting ready to come back. Then a voice came from a throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, and those who fear Him, both small and great. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom of God. It's a good thing in that sense. So, a, a debilitating fear that they had should give way to a healthy fear. That means a reverential awe, love, and respect. It will, it, it will always result in faithfulness. Now, we're not to be afraid of God and that He's going to strike us dead, but to have a reverence, a 
a dread of his displeasure if we do sin and being desiring to be obedient to him in his sovereign rule. Stand in awe and sin not. Psalm chapter 4, verse 4, has that same kind of ring there as the psalm writer writes this. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Any kind of emotions. You know, here there's a, there's a godly anger, right? The things of God. But yet, don't sin while you're going through those uh, emotions and, and uh, meditate and think about the, the things of the truth. So we know what we deserve. We know we don't have a right in His presence. But we come to Him believing because we know the Lord is good. Now C.S. Lewis, I think, captures this in a beautiful way. Everybody's familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? And there's a passage in there where he describes it so effectively. You have the scene where you have Lucy and Susan. They're talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan the lion. Now Aslan is representing Christ. He's the lion. He's the king. So it goes like this. Is, is he a man? That's what Lucy says. Aslan a man? said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beast? Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. I tell you, I'm longing to see him, said Peter, even if I do feel frightened when it comes to the point. That's precisely how the fear of God is. He's great. He's the king. There's nothing safe about him in the way that we want him to be. Nice and comfortable. But he's good. You can't help but be drawn near to him. Then C.S. Lewis goes on to say, people who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. Good and terrible? How's that work? If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes, and they found they couldn't look at him, and they went all trembling. But... His voice was deep and rich and somehow took the fidgets out of them. They now felt glad and quiet. The holiness of God. Fearing God is that controlling sense of the majesty, holiness of God, the profound reverence that flows from it. You should be filled with joy when you are filled with the proper sense of fear. You should have peace at the same time. You can say, well, how do those words go together? Well, God is a God of wrath. God is a God of love. And how can you put those two together? We can't eliminate wrath, can we? But we know He's also a God of love. We can't eliminate that. God is all of that in the perfect good way and our own finite minds cannot understand it all. It's about the sovereignty of God. We can't understand that, the sovereign grace. But you know what it should do? It should bring forth a sense of faith and love and just realizing I'm standing before this great God because of what He's done. 
Now, verse 21 of Exodus 20. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew the near, near the thick darkness where God was. Okay, the people are standing back. They stand afar off, it says in the scripture there. I would too. They knew about their guilt. They were afraid of God's wrath. They cannot approach Him. They need the mediator. Moses is the one. He would go for them before the presence of God. And He's going to deliver the book of covenant. And that's what we're going to see in the following chapters. Which we're not going to do today. But we will as it's upcoming. And you'll see some of those. What does this have to do with us? There are a lot of laws there that uh, sometimes don't pertain to us. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to deal with that and make it relevant? <laughs> well, first of all, our, our first sense here is not to make everything relevant, although the Bible is relevant. But first of all, we explain we want to desire God, right? We want His things and then other things fall into place. We do want it to come into our lives, but we start with a view of God. Everything starts with Him, right? Now, when we do our Monday night Bible study at the store tomorrow, that's what we're going to be dealing with. Everything starts with God and then comes down from there. Everything. Salvation, the whole works. When you're in Ephesians 1, verse 4, you're in the highlight of all the Bibles, as far as I'm concerned, about what God did. Wrapped up in a little short sentence. Sentence that's pretty long. He has a role to bring these instructions. His role as a mediator. But Moses needed a great mediator because he's only a man. And he is a sinner. So therefore, how can Moses do this? He's just a man. It's because of what Christ will do eventually at the cross. His ability to do the work of a mediator was grounded or based upon the fact of what the great mediator did. Our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to part two, and that's worshiping God. We've seen about fearing God. Worshiping God is the next thing, 22 through 26. This is where God wanted the Israelites worshiping Him. He has them where He wants he wants them right here at this time. And he's using this. It's all planned out and designed so that they could truly worship him. That's the goal of redemption, isn't it? That we worship God. That we'd be holy and sanctified so that we'd bring glory to God in a much bigger way than what we do now. But we are being sanctified even now. As this day goes forth, as you're looking at the Word of God and God through His Holy Spirit, that power there, I can't do it. You know, and the lack of the words that I have to be able to express this can't do it, but the power of God's Spirit changes us. Changes us more and more each day. It's being sanctified. That's why reading the Word every day on your own and praying is so significant. And then coming together and studying God's Word, having it preached and taught so that we will know Him better, that we'll be sanctified. They were delivered to worship, and here's where the Word of God comes in, right here. How does one worship God? Well, if we look in Exodus chapter 20, which is where all this started, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, and that's the Deca log, 10 log, 10 Deca Log, word, ten words, the ten words, the ten statements, the ten commandments. All these words. God spoke. He spoke. It's a word-based worship. All of worship should be focused, centered on the Word of God. Whether it be prayer, whether it be singing, whether it be meditating on Him, the preaching of the Word... Everything is to be somehow focused, centered around the Word of God. We're to be saturated with God's Word, as uh, Spurgeon uh, always said. Bibline, it's just flowing through your blood veins. You are so familiar with the Word of God that it's just flowing through you. 
It's the central part of worship. You have seen, this is what God says. You have seen that I have talked with you. Now, isn't that strange that he would say, you have seen that I have talked with you? Have you ever seen God talking? Well, that's not what's happening here, is it? Well, I mean, in the sense that they didn't see him, they heard him talking. But what does God say? You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. That's what's in verse 22. What's going on here? Seems really strange. Wait a minute. You have heard what I've spoken, right? God spoke what was not seen in any form. People want to see something. They want to feel something. They want to taste something. And God did not come in a visible bodily form like they probably would have liked to have. Maybe not. <laughs> Later on, Moses wants to see a little bit more of that glory and God gives him a glimpse. <coughs> But he spoke in a cloud on Mount Sinai, right? He spoke there. They didn't see him, but they they heard things going around and there were things happening that they did visually see, but they didn't see him. I think the spoken word here takes on great meaning. Israel's worship is to be derived from the Word of God. Whenever he said in verse 1, God spoke all these words. And then in verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses this, Go tell the children of Israel this, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. He actually gave them the Word of God. We are so privileged. Today, you're sitting in a room with God's people looking at something that was spoken from God. I mean, this just should blow our minds. We're actually reading the Word of God. This is not something that somebody just kind of put together. That's really nice. It's nice to have a Bible and read it sometimes. I'm telling you, God is speaking to us all the time and it's found right here. That's where worship is. This is the one true transcendent God who is to be worshipped by the Word of God. We worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth go together. It's like grace and truth. Spirit and truth. Our worship today is focused on the Word. God has spoken. We do not see Him. But we know He's right here. He has spoken here in this. We worship Him in the Spirit and truth. The Word instructs us, first of all, on who God is, what He's about, what He's done, and also how we are to conform to Him personally by the very power of His Holy Spirit. So the Word and the Spirit go together, don't they? That's how we have the power for our lives to change. Now, in, so that, that word there, I think, is very important. Because if it's not focused around the Word of God, if it's not preached, if we just have little storytellings and jokes and such, why bother? It, it should be the Word and nothing but the Word. If we have some things that help support it, that's fine. <laughs> you know, illustrations and such. But it's all built around this. This is the very focus. So he says in verse 23, here to, he tells them what not to do. I've given you the Word of God. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold you shall not make for yourselves. Now that sounds interesting. That sounds like a repetition. He's going all the way back to the giving of the Ten Commandments. And he's talking about don't have any idols. Don't make any images here. This sets up the very first two commandments. Have no other gods before me. Make no images, Right? This prohibits the making of visible images of God. Why would anybody want to make images? Because they can see them. They can put them up in the building. They can put them up at the altar. They can put them up behind the altar and have them on the walls. Have them all over the place. And and let's put it in gold because everybody will see it. And this will be a special, special place. God resides here. And whenever you see this, it will be the very tabernacle of God. <laughs> Sound familiar? And, and so therefore, when we have images that we have here, we'll literally say, this is Him here in that. 
But what's wrong with that? That's breaking the first two commandments, isn't it? If we have visible forms, God restricts those kind of actions. Humans have great creativity. And so therefore, they like to make God in their own image. So therefore, they, that's why they come up with animals and such things. And, you know, hey, a calf, you know, that was, to, that was revered, you know, in the, in the sense that uh, if you owned a calf, that's one of the greatest things you could have. And, of course, today, calves are worshipped, cows are worshipped. Think of Hinduism for one thing. But, um, and that's what they're going to do. Eventually, they're going to make a calf. But uh, God is telling them, don't do that. There's a meeting place to have. And a meeting place is plain. You don't have all those things. You don't have to have all the gold and all the silver and all the things that are attractive to mankind and the incense going. and Oh, it's just beautiful. And people are just taken in by the things that are there. God is here because we have Him here in this gold. Idolatry is going on there. Hey, there's nothing wrong with nice-looking buildings. I'm not saying that. But God is clearly making it very known that as far as elaborate ceremonies are concerned, man-made objects that are to be representing God are not to be. We are to worship God by the Word only. Okay, we have one last one. It's the simplicity of meeting with God. And of course, that's kind of what we're really touching on. We're, we're about ready to finish up. You guys ready? 24 through 26, he says he mentions an altar, uh, and don't let it be of earth, uh, uh, or an altar of earth you shall make, but don't let it be of uh, anything of uh, uh, rock where you have uh, actually hewn it, worked with it. I want this to be plain. God authorized two types of altars: one of earth, and another of uncut stone. And he said, "What's the deal? It's not to be adorned." People are not to worship things. Really, the only visual things that we really have to have today that God has given us in pictures are the two ordinances or sacraments, however the church, however different churches want to call it. But what is that? That is the Lord's Supper or communion where you have bread, you have the fruit of the vine. And what is that saying? This is a picture of the new covenant of what Christ did for it. He died. And uh, it's proclaiming His death, burial, resurrection, that we're in covenant with Him. And so those are actually uh, uh, things that we can actually do. We can take of that. He says to do that. And then He also says that there's baptism, where you have a picture there of dying to the old life and coming back anew. And that's what is really the visible things that we really need. And that's, that's the idea that God is putting forth here. It's not an adornment. So the building that you have here, we don't really have anything. Is there anything wrong with putting a cross? I think we have a cross up here, a crown. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. What does that draw you? It draws you back to the cross. I think having a cross is a good thing. Do you have to have that to worship? No. But it does remind us of what? Of that. And you know where you draw the line with some of these things, it gets difficult. Believe me, in the body of Christ, there are a lot of disagreements on this. Just as long as they're not having... You know, saying this is God and this is where God lives in this tabernacle here of gold and this bread is actually God, Christ in uh, uh, His... That's His form right there at that time. He is he is the cracker. He is the... What? The host or whatever. Um, what is the main point? It's the sacrifice that matters. The sacrifice that has already been done. We are to offer up ourselves, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. That's what we do. We just offer ourselves to Christ. Whatever, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I want to do that. That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about the foretaste of His glory. And as He's putting forth here the things that is not proper in worship and then the things that are proper... You know, you think of the uncut stones that keep people from making idols out of them. Not as quite as beautiful as a nice cut stone, right? But they're uncut stones, he says here. They were not going to be like the pagan neighbors, God is saying here. 
Uh, and then in verse 26, to wrap it up here, and you can say, well, what does this mean? Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. Again, he's speaking uh, about what the pagans did. And there would be nakedness. There would be all sorts of sexual things going on in their worships. And so when the pagans had their sexual rituals, they practiced those constantly in their worship. It's a terrible thing. You see how far man goes in that? Some cultures had their priests serving God in the nude, believe it or not. And and he'll tell them later on that the priests are to actually have a special garment, uh, an uh, under-type garment underneath, so that when they walk up the steps that there would be something there. If somebody saw something, they'd be protected from seeing that. Uh, It's to be a holy place. And that's the idea of that. Nothing too intricate, but we explain here the verses here, not trying to get too detailed, but wherever God's people meet to worship Him, that is so important. Wherever it is. Worship in spirit and truth. It's not the temple anymore. We have a meeting place. We meet. What do we do? We want to talk about God's Word. Talk about Him. We want to say that He is with us. We want to say He will reward us. As He said in at the end of verse 24, In every place where I record My name, I will come to you and I will bless you. I hope we've been blessed today because of the Word of God and that He has allowed us to worship Him. He has desired for us to worship Him. We desire to worship Him. And that's the reason we meet here. If we obey Him, if we worship Him according to the Word, seek His face, God meets with us. I felt like God has met with us today. And it's special with God's people. Let's pray. Father, You are a precious God. Thank You for telling us what fearing You is and what worshiping is. That we would truly seek You out. That we would desire You on a constant basis. Praying always. Rejoicing always. What a day it has been. We thank You for this worship. It is not anything about us at all. Not us, O Lord but to You the glory is given. Help us to realize that throughout the remainder of this day and this week so that we can honor You. In Jesus' name, Amen.